Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. This week's program is entitled, What the Bible Really Says, with Rev. Thomas Perchlick. What does the Bible really say? Nothing. It cannot speak. No book can talk. Only people say things. It is we who must decide what the Bible inspires us to say. People informed by a tradition of interpretation may speak on the Bible's behalf. And though their message changes over time, there are always ideas, biblical ideas, that endure through the ages. For example, I went to see the Freedom Center this uh, a few weeks ago. Freedom Center is a museum about the Underground Railroad, about the struggle for freedom in this country in light of slavery. It's a museum about not only the Underground Railroad, but even the ongoing presence of oppression and injustice in our nation. It invites people to think and wonder and considers, consider. I would encourage you to go visit it. One of the things that's made clear in that, in that museum is the enduring religious legacy of the image of freedom, grounded deep, deep in a biblical tradition. It drove people to seek freedom even when slavery was legal. And yet, there is something wonderful announced in that museum, that slavery, which existed in most times and places since the beginning of human history, has now been declared illegal. It's been banished from most places in the world. Certainly, slavery still exists. It exists in subtle forms of oppressive labor conditions, and it exists overtly in many corners of the world. There are even estimated to be some 50,000 slaves illegally held within U.S. borders. Yet the interesting thing is that almost no one who holds the Bible as vital to their religious identity, neither Jews nor Christians, would say that slavery is okay. There's no Christian I know of who would say that it's acceptable to own other human beings as long as the master's kind and the slave dignified in obedience. Yet the Bible never says that slavery is wrong. In fact, biblical texts assume the continued existence of slavery. There are several things that the Bible writers assumed. Of course, one of these most essential is the idea of a personal God. Nothing in the Bible ever argues for or against the existence of God. Creator and Lord is just assumed to exist, known to exist. But troubling is that Slavery is also just assumed to exist. The 10th commandment, the one that tells the faithful not to covet material possessions of one's neighbor, includes a wife, servants, and donkeys as possible possessions. It's assumed that a person could own other people, even in the Ten Commandments. However, there are other passages in the Bible other passages that speak about Israel's suffering under slavery and of the joy of liberation. The prophets spoke of 
breaking the captive's bonds. And that teaching of Jesus, that the highest commandment next to loving God is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You would want others to give you the opportunity, choice, and self-possession of freedom. And so when it became possible to do so, the duty of all who followed the Bible teaching was to set people free. To visit the imprisoned and to give them hope. Now, there are some people who don't read the Bible and some who are not so concerned about biblical authority. And they might ask, why should we care what it says in the Bible? We know what is true. But we should care about the fact that there are some who will use their political authority and their pulpits to try to speak on behalf of the 75% or more of Americans who call themselves Christian. There are people who are trying to convince everyone else using political means to get, a, to get all the others to follow their, their ideas about what they think the Bible says, as if those ideas were actual and authoritative commandments of God instead of using some spiritual humility and admitting that religious tradition is always very human, always one of struggle and doubt and unsurety. I heard some men on the radio the other day telling their listeners to go to churches that affirmed absolute, literal, biblical authority. Some Protestants will assert that the Bible and not tradition is the foundation of their authority. These people are being, being at least at an intellectual level dishonest, dishonest with themselves and dishonest with those who listen to them, because no understanding of the Bible is ever separate from a tradition of interpretation, a set of certain values and decisions and choices about how one is going to read that book. Those who follow religious uh, Roman Catholic authority have different assumptions about the role of tradition than will particular independent Baptist congregation, for example. Those who say that their understanding of religion is founded upon the Bible, if they are truly speaking, have established their religion upon shifting sands. One fact that I get from a story in 2 Kings, chapter 22, the story of the rediscovery of the Torah, is that Scripture changes over time. The king at that time was demanding that money from the treasury be turned over to help rebuild the temple. And one of the king's servants finds a scroll in the midst of this process of of rebuilding the temple and he brings it and the king reads it and finds that they had his people had gone astray from the original source of their religious faith many people uh, guess that the rediscovered scroll was the book of exodus because he mentions that the scroll has commandments about passover but it could have been the whole torah that was rediscovered. And this is an amazing story for anyone who knows modern Jewish people, how they hold to the Torah. 
It's especially amazing that uh, the story of Exodus, so central to Jewish life today, central to Passover and its ritual commemoration of the flight from Egypt, could ever have been forgotten. And yet here's this story within Christian scripture, within honored scripture of the Jewish tradition, saying that it was. Second point is that this particular scripture, 2 Kings, was at one time not scripture. The canon, known to Christians as the Old Testament, was still being developed less than a century before Jesus preached. Passages in the New Testament that refer to Scripture are speaking of these Jewish writings because for years, Christian writings were many and diverse and not canonized as Scripture. Eventually, of course, more than 100 years after the Arian Unitarianism was condemned as heresy, long before other things like Christian universalism, the mainstream of Christianity was rejected by later church authorities, Church leaders in about the year 370, somewhere in there, who wanted to nail things down, who wanted to prevent diversity, who wanted to stop change, who wanted to hold the spirit down to doctrine and creed, canonized the current 66 books as the Bible, the holy book. For them, revelation was then sealed, and no new words need come or would come. On the other hand, I am part of a tradition that proclaims that revelation is never sealed. A free religious community, as Kishab Chandra Sen put it, recognizes in all prophets a harmony, in all scriptures a unity, and with William Ellery Channing we welcome all new truth as an angel from heaven. New truth, that is, not just new ideas. Some All new ideas must be tested, must be questioned must be tempered with the acid of experience and doubt in order to reveal the universal and lasting truth within them. But our tradition, my tradition, is one that is shaped by enlightenment values that say that one must test and seek within all writings and experience, ancient and new, the one universal truth of which each insight is but a part the most famous Christian scripture about scripture is in Paul's second letter to Timothy. He says that all scripture is inspired by God. Or in the words of some translations, all scripture is God-breathed. This image of the indwelling of the Spirit is directly related to the story of Adam. For God to breathe into a thing is to give it life, to give it something of the immortal spirit. Such breath does not make a being inerrant, does not make it absolute, sacrosanct, or or undoubtable, as Adam goes on to show. Breath is life, and life is ever-changing, responding to new truth, differing circumstances by adapting. Each life is mortal, limited, but always part of a larger life, an enduring truth. As Theodore Parker pointed out in his great sermon of 1841, that the universal and enduring truth is built upon a stronger foundation than mere scripture. 
He said the current notions respecting the infallible inspiration of the Bible have no foundation in the Bible itself. Which evangelist, which apostle of the New Testament, what prophet or psalmist of the Lord ever claims infallible authority for himself or others? Which of them does not in his own writings show that he was finite and with all his zeal and piety possessed only a limited inspiration, the bound whereof we can sometimes discover? It is not enough to hold up the Bible. One must hold up the living truth that one encounters and uncovers through consideration of it. And Bible, is, uh, any scripture, is not always simple and easy in its guidance. If you find scripture comforting, if you find it always affirming your understandings and conventions, if you find in your scripture only comfort and encouragement, then you need better scripture. You need something challenging and hard to remind you that revelation is not sealed, nor is your understanding of it ever sealed. You need something to remind you that you, like Scripture, must change to grow and live, because this is the nature of the religious life. In fact, not only have the Scriptures changed over time, but they are an enduring testament to the fact that religious practice and belief, even within a single tradition, changes over time. All scripture changes because it is part of the human struggle to uncover and grow the universal truth to live in the blessed community, which is always a growing presence and a future promise beyond what the Bible says. Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship with content and financial support from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie and technical support from radio stations WCRD and Work FM. Most importantly, we thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza, George Wolf, and Thomas Perchlick. Thank you for listening and have a pleasant week.